Welcome to Magnificat Proclaims, presented to you by Magnificat, a ministry to Catholic women. Whether this is your first time you've listened to our program, or you have been with us many times before, we are delighted that you have joined us. I'm Donna Ross, your host for today's program. We pray that today may be a special day in your life as you experience through the personal testimony of our featured guest, the presence of Jesus Christ among us. He is alive and well. Magnificat, taken from Luke chapter 1, is the great hymn of praise that Mary prayed while visiting her cousin Elizabeth. Both women had been deeply touched by God. Elizabeth was bearing a long-awaited child. Mary was carrying within her womb the very Son of God. They came together to help one another, to speak of God's action in their lives, to sing, to pray, to share a common faith, and to be strengthened for all that was to come. Like Mary and Elizabeth, we want to come together in God's presence and proclaim the Almighty has done great things for me and you, and holy is his name. This Magnificat Proclaimed series features Catholic Christian women who have shared their testimony at one of the many Magnificat chapters hosting quarterly meals around the world. Typically, this three-hour gathering provides opportunity for a shared meal, fellowship, communal praise and worship, personal testimony of one woman's expression of God's action in her life, and intercessory prayer for the needs of the church and of those present. We trust that these testimonies will help each of us come to better understand that we are truly children of God, made in his image and likeness. We are daughters of the King. I'm honored to introduce to you today Paulette Renadin. How does a person who is painfully shy to the point where she finds it difficult to speak to people, even one-on-one, come to the point where she wants to shout the works of the Lord from the rooftops? How does a person want to go from glamour of high fashion to being a humble servant of the Lord? What lies behind this mystery can change a life so radically. Paulette shares the exciting and unbelievable works of the Lord that have transformed her life in her personal testimony. Quiet and shy little Paulette, now the coordinator of Magnificat, West St. Tammany Chapter in Louisiana, will share with you her story of how God turned her life around 180 degrees through the working of the Holy Spirit. Paulette is a devoted mother and wife, married to Rusty Renadin. They have three children, and she is the Louisiana master gardener and also an accomplished photographer and artist. Once again, it is my privilege to introduce Paulette Renadin. It is indeed an honor and a privilege to be with you today as your speaker. I love Magnificat. And I love testimonies. And what are testimonies? The intimate way God acts in the lives of ordinary Christians. We have all been tested to some extent, and that is what brings about our testimonies. Through our story, we draw a connection between the happening of life and the lessons of God. It is our stories that we need more of, stories that reverence, the still, small voice that sings our life. The scripture verse that runs through my life 
is Jeremiah 1, verse 5 to 8. I am too young to speak, or my case too shy. My testimony is more of a kaleidoscope, a tube of constantly changing patterns that are observed with the eye. The eye is my soul. My walk with the Lord has been marked by a series of beautiful miracles. I believe all of life's experiences, while we are on earth, are part of the mission God sends each of us on. And at the end of our life, God is waiting for us to come home and tell our story of what we have learned. I was born January 22, 1950, in New Orleans. I went to Catholic Grammar School, UNO, Catholic High School, UNO, and Loyola. I was the fourth of five children born to very Catholic parents. Both had graduated from Catholic colleges. My earliest memories of my faith were walking to the Tuesday night Our Lady of Perpetual Health Novena and weekly confession, trying to disguise my voice. <laughs> we lived one door away from the convent of the School Sisters of Notre Dame. I used to make clover chains on the corner while waiting for my dad to come home on the bus. But when the nuns came out to walk praying their divine office, I would leave my flowers and run home. One day, I took the nun's mail to see what kind of mail nuns got. <laughs> and I'm, I made the mistake of putting it down on the kitchen counter. Well, my mother saw it and made me return the mail to them, opened and all. The week after that, I won a cake from D.H. Holmes, and you guessed it, I had to bring my cake to the nuns as a peace offering. <laughs> The different religious orders used to have vocation day parades in New Orleans. If you can believe that, we did. Each float, each float represented a different order. The nuns next door had me come over to try on a child's habit of the school sisters of Notre Dame to wear to ride on the float. They were probably trying to help me out. After standing in my steps in their parlor, mortified, I was glad I was too tall for the habit. <laughs> Very vivid memory. I remember my mother praying many nuptials, and I recall her getting answers to her prayers. My dad recited the rosary daily on the way to work. I know that because when he died, I received his rosary, and the corpse on the cross was worn smooth. Life was not bad in the 50s for families without much money. There were lots of children in our neighborhood to play with. We could walk to school, brownies, Girl Scouts, ballet, and we had a public pool to swim in. My dad worked two jobs as a pharmacist. In my early teens, I used to babysit for a family whose dad ran an advertising agency. After babysitting one day, he asked me if I would come back on Saturday, go to City Park, and take photos for a magazine. I was thrilled. The photos came out well, and I was on my way to a modeling career. It was fun going on location to shoot pictures, and then seeing your picture in magazines. I think it was the first time I realized I was valuable, even if it was only for my looks. Modeling was great, and it gave me extra money for clothes. I was still amazed I could do this, but then again, I wasn't speaking. I was terribly shy about speaking, 
I think it started in the second grade with Sister Gemma Marie when she singled me out during First Communion singing practice and told me to move my lips because I couldn't carry a tune. <laughs> I could smile in any photo, but when asked to do speaking commercials, I said, I'll walk, but I'll never talk. Now, if I said that once, I said it a hundred times. It became so ingrained in me, everyone always asked me if the cat had my tongue. I always sought out very gregarious people, so my shyness would go unnoticed. I worked all through high school modeling. In my junior year at St. Joseph Academy in New Orleans, I landed a part in a movie being filmed in New Orleans with Robert Redford and Natalie Wood. They made the wardrobe for me, and I got to miss school for two weeks. I played the double for Natalie Wood. I remember eating lunch with Todd, but I was too shy to ask for an autograph. I was working at Godshock and Krieger's in New Orleans, and on, um, after school and on Saturdays, I was a Seventeen Magazine representative, and my picture was on billboards, magazines, television, and newspapers. It was in the midst of these exciting events in my life that our family had to deal with the untimely death of my father. He had suffered with mental illness for a few years, and one day I returned home from New York and discovered he had over-medicated himself. Although I rushed him to the hospital, they were unable to save him. My mother, for whatever reason, directed a wave of anger at me. Perhaps it was a way for her to vent the grief and frustration she was unable to put into words. At that same time, a position opened up for me as a buyer in the junior department at Krieger's. Mr. Krieger knew my heart was in fashion merchandising, and even though I was young, he offered me the job. I readily accepted and found myself in New York, Dallas, and L.A. every six weeks. A New Orleans TV station flew me to New York to do a special on Paulette at the Plaza and another layout for TV Guide. I went with Governor Edwards' wife and daughters to New York to select their first inaugural ball gowns. Exciting times. That was great. Filled much time but my heart was solidly set on getting married and having children. That is all I truly wanted. I would give up everything for the right person. I went to Mass every day at the Jesuit Church on Barone Street, begging St. Joseph for the right man to come along. I even found the wedding dress of my dreams on one of the trips to New York and kept it behind the door of my office for years. <laughs> By this time, all my brothers and sisters were married, my mother was enjoying sharing my life with all the modeling, and sometimes my dates would include her for dinner. She did not want me to ever get married and established a hard and fast rule. No more than three dates with the same person, or you must break up or move out. I know it was crazy, but I put up with it for years. My stomach was constantly in a knot, and I lived on prescription medicine. It was a sick cycle I was not strong enough to break. A few years ago, I read a book titled Born Only Once by Dr. Conrad Barth that shed light on my very situation. He named the feelings I was experiencing as deprivation disorder or deprivation of affirmation. But whether severely affected or only moderate degree, the consequence of being deprived of affirmation early in life affects our whole society at all levels because the condition 
feeds on itself. You have feelings of insecurity and uncertainty. Often a person with this disorder cannot make decisions in personal matters. That is where it affected me. I was overly sensitive and I had an excessive desire to please. I was non-assertive. I had an extreme need for approval by significant others. I could work at my job as a retail buyer, but my personal life was very difficult. Once I met someone I thought I would marry, moved out, got engaged, brought him to see Monsignor Bazoo, and pleaded if he would marry us. After a quick assessment, he advised me not to marry the young man because he did not want the children to be raised Catholic. Monsignor Bazoo knew my faith meant too much to me, so I gave the ring back and moved home. My mother was delighted I was home, but the sick cycle prevailed. Other opportunities for marriage came along, and I continued to stay tied up in knots. I continued going to Mass daily and praying for the right person. I bargained with God, let's make a deal. I knew I did not have the confidence to pick the right person. My question was, what would they be like in 10, 20, or 30 years? What would I be like? I also knew choosing the right marriage partner was the most important decision in life to be made. I asked the Lord to remove the knot in my stomach when it was the right person. That's how I would know. I was pretty desperate and depressed. A friend that I knew from work named Dark V asked me if he could get me a blind date with one of his friends. Dart was sure this would be the one. Dart called later that week and said his friend had not broken up with his girlfriend. I said, fine. <laughs> a year later, Dart called for the same guy. I said, yes. Well, on Wednesday, Rusty came up to the third floor of Creepers, and I thought he was some last-minute customer looking for something for his wife. I asked him if I could help him, and he said, I'm looking for Paulette Michelle. I was speechless, nothing new, and I stuttered my own name. He was so cute. Needless to say, we went out Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. After that, I had to break up. He didn't understand. <laughs> it's true. He didn't understand why when we were having so much fun. I told him I just couldn't move out again. It was too traumatic. I went over to his apartment to talk to him, and after that, I planned to move. He did not want to help me. He thought I needed to do it by myself. I found an apartment and moved. I remember how symbolic it was to cut the phone cord in my room. My mother came home from work, saw the empty room, and was very upset. Rusty asked me to marry him, and I said yes, because I knew this was the one the Lord would have me marry. Rusty and I went to see Monsignor Bazoo, and he gave us his blessing. It was difficult planning everything by myself for my wedding, but I did have peace. I knew I was doing the right thing. We went to Pequena in Baton Rouge because we were moving there so we could get our marriage off to a good start. The only thing I remember about Pequena was they separated the men from the women for a question and answer period. The only question I remember was, if you could be any animal in the world, what would you be? <laughs> now, Rusty and I had never talked about anything like this. 
But down the hall, Rusty put a deer and I put a frog. All I could say was, thank you, Lord. That was so significant to me. My sister Julie helped me. My brother gave me away, and we got married on Valentine's Day, 1975. My mother came to the door of the church just as I was ready to walk down the aisle. We had no reception, but the church was packed, and our Mass was beautiful. After we married and moved to Baton Rouge, I continued to call my mother to heal our relationship. After a year, we were transferred to Shreveport with Rusty's job. During that time, Rusty had to take classes in New York for six weeks. I remember being very lonely. I wrote a letter to the Lord and turned my life over to Him. Tuesday, November 9, 1976, I'm turning my life over to Jesus Christ. Whatever He wants to happen to me will. Whatever He sends me, I will accept. Christ, tell me what to do. I love you, Paulette. And I just put things like, I would like a baby. I would like Rusty to enjoy his new job. I would like to have friends who care about me in my new neighborhood. I would like things to be fine with my mother. I would like Julie to feel better in her marriage. I would like to be rid of my growing nervous condition. I would like Daddy to be in heaven. I would like most of all to really feel as though I got through to you, Jesus. I became pregnant with our first child and was confined to bed. After our first son, Justin, was born, I grew up quickly in a town without any family to help. I continued to try to heal the relationship with my mother. When our son, Justin, was three months old, I called my mother and asked her if I could bring Justin for a visit. She agreed. I flew to New Orleans to show her my precious baby. We had another son three years later, and my mother came to help me. I was pregnant when we moved to Mansville. Shortly after a visit to a dentist, I had a miscarriage. I wanted another baby, a baby girl. I asked Our Lady to intercede for me, and if I had a girl, I would name her after Our Lady, hence our daughter Marie or Mimi. Rusty and I were always Sunday Catholics and prayed novenas and rosaries. We were attending a Bible study together, and Rusty was meeting with businessmen at the Holiday Inn for a men's Bible study. It was shortly after that I met my friend Peggy Ronzello. Peggy told me about the Magnificat breakfast, and we attended the next one. I don't remember who the speaker was, but I knew I had found a home, a place to share faith and friendship. What a wonderful combination. Peggy and I never missed a breakfast, and I remember taking as many people that would fit into our cars to them. By then, we were on the CCRMO mailing list, and my husband and I attended the next conference and stayed the whole weekend. It was awesome. My spiritual life went from black and white to living color. I had this tremendous urge to bring as many people into this experience as I could. Shy little old me. I would have never asked for the gift of evangelization, but the Lord knows best, and that is what he gave me. I was amazed I could call people and invite them to charismatic events. And when I was first married, I could not even call a repairman. My husband would call him, and I would open the door. <laughs> Peggy and I invited 14 women from the North Shore to the first Magnificat Women's Retreat. There were no more than 40 or 60 women on that retreat. That afternoon, a 
as I was waiting for my friend to pick me up, all this information started coming into my head. I wrote it down, not knowing what it was, but I knew it was for some of the women we were taking. They were just not sure of this whole experience. I made two copies, and we read it in both bands. That night, when Father Cohen and Dion Brown gave their talks, what I had written was a synopsis of each of their talks. That could only have been the Holy Spirit. It seemed like the only time I could talk freely was when I was talking about the Lord. We used to go to the Center of Jesus the Lord in New Orleans for Sunday Mass with our children when Father LaFrance was living. He always made the Mass come alive. I felt very much like my spiritual life had been like the Apostles in the book of Acts. Very ordinary people doing extraordinary things through the power of the Holy Spirit. As I said, black and white to live in color. One weekend, my son's altar server team had to serve for the WLAE televised mass at Notre Dame Seminary. On that day, the lector did not show up. A gentleman came out and asked the people in the congregation if anyone would volunteer, and no one raised their hand. He came out again. No one. He came out one last time, and I raised my hand. I had never done anything like this. I was petrified, but I wanted to serve the Lord. I got through the readings, and when I got back to my pew, I thought, Lord, last time I was on television, I was modeling birds for creatures. <laughs> you certainly have a sense of humor. <laughs> Another time, we were at the center of Jesus the Lord in 1998. Bob and Penny Lord were there with a film, Miracles of the Eucharist. It was awesome. They said it would be on TV at 7 p.m. I called all my friends, told them, watch TV tonight, 7 p.m., WLAE. Well, it did not come on. I couldn't figure out why. I called and found out it was on EWTN. Hmm, what was that? We didn't get it. I called our cable company to find out. They said I needed to meet with the manager. I made an appointment and asked the manager how we could get the channel. He said I needed a signature campaign of cable subscribers willing to vote for a change in the channel. I asked him how many names. I can't remember, but it was a percentage of the cable subscribers. I wasn't daunted. I typed a letter, went to the churches on the North Shore to see if I could make the announcement after the masses and then get the signatures I needed. Only Our Lady Lake gave me permission. That was okay, because besides the church signatures, I stood in line in carpool line, asked people at the grocery store, went around the neighborhood. A friend, Joanne, also helped me. It was a huge task, but the Holy Spirit was encouraging me every day. After a few months, I called the cable manager, made another appointment, and brought the signatures. Shortly thereafter, we had EWTN on TV 24 hours a day. When my son was in fifth grade, we carpooled with the Lord for soccer. Shortly after tryouts, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor and had surgery. 
This kid always made all-stars. So it was so sad. He was just fabulous. Roy kept waking me up and saying, Go pray with Joel and bring him Holy Communion. I kept putting it off because I was too afraid. A few nights later, I could hardly breathe, so I knew I had to go. I went to my parish to pick up a consecrated host, and there was Father Allen right outside on the sidewalk. That is how the Lord went before me the whole day. When I got to auction, the only parking place was right in front of the sixth-floor door, just the one I needed. When I went into Joel's room, his mother said, I knew you were coming. Now, I hadn't told anyone I was coming. I had never prayed for healing before that day and did it with shaking hands and many tears. When I got home and read my daily devotional, it was April 18th, and the reading was from Acts 9, verse 32 to 35. Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take up your mat and walk. The Lord confirmed the visit to my little friend. Later that week, the Lord woke me up and said, go bring Joel to the soccer tournament. Now this was scary because he had just had surgery. I was obedient, called his mom, and asked her to ask the doctors. They said yes. I remember that Saturday morning pulling the uniform over Joel's head in the wheelchair. Then the Lord asked me to give the pre-game pep talk on the field to the team. <laughs> I did that nervously with tears. Well, our little team won the entire soccer tournament at Lafreniere Park, and we brought the trophy to Joel's hospital room. It seemed like a giant step on the way to recovery. After he got home, we brought him the Eucharist for months. He finished Jesuit High School and graduated from LSU. At that time, my husband and I were teaching CCD to junior high school boys. Father Cohen would come over and introduce them to Divine Mercy and hear their confessions. There was a time I felt I could handle everything. You know, keep all the plates spinning. One year, we had a problem with one of our children that we couldn't solve. Doctors could not seem to help us either. I went in my room, closed the door, begged the Lord to show me a solution. I was desperate. The whole family dynamics were changing because of this problem. I bargained with the Lord. If you help me solve this problem, I will go to Mass every day the rest of my life. That was a big promise, but it was in proportion to the problem. The next day I got up, got our two-year-old ready for Mass, I was hoping Mimi would be good or this would never work. Well, she was great. That day and every day after, 21 years ago. In the beginning, I thought it was a big sacrifice, but the Lord is never outdone in generosity. Yes, my child was healed. He has since graduated from law school. But the blessings I have received, I could never repay him. Daily Mass is something I look forward to. My life would not be the same without it. I know I'm a better wife and mother because of it. And I'm grateful for all the friends I have made there. What a blessing they are. There was a time I wanted to give to the Lord more than we were financially able. So I prayed, Lord, you know the desire of my heart is to help the priests who have helped me along the way. I used to pray in the middle of the night. 
I felt the Lord could hear me better without the noise. One night I was praying and looked at the wall in our bedroom. A grapevine wreath appeared and became prominent with Christian symbols. I knew it was the answer to my prayer. When I got up, I was compelled to make the wreath. I told my husband, and he gave me the startup money. I called my friends, and they all volunteered to help. I remember calling Treasures Unlimited, the local Hobby Lobby, and telling them the Lord asked me to make these wreaths. They sold me hundreds of wreaths at a large discount. We bought wood and had people all over town cutting out the symbols. A friend graciously lent her home for a year for the production. We sold over 1,000 wreaths in the metro area. And one day while delivering the wreaths to Metairie with a friend who had a station wagon, all the seats were down because of the wreaths. My daughter was unbuckled. I had a premonition about getting in a wreck and grabbed her from the back and held her. Five minutes later, we were in a wreck, and Mimi was safe in my arms. I learned about spiritual warfare then, and a friend gave me a St. Benedict medal to wear. We gave all the money to Father LaFrance and Father Cohen. It was at this time many of us were going to Medjugorje. We even brought a wreath to Father Slavko for St. James Church. One summer, while on jury duty, I read a book by Sumont Kidd called When the Heart Waits. Kathy McInnes, my friend, also read it and called me. We talked about making it into a book study club. She had gotten the questions for the study, and we called a few friends and started. It was supposed to be for six weeks. Well, that turned into a year and a half. After that, we discerned the Lord was calling forth a Magnificat chapter from our group. We prayed for three years, and then we opened with Kathy as coordinator. Kathy did such an awesome job. After one year, the central service team asked her to be on their team, so we, I became coordinator after all. June 6, 2001. This day in my life is truly set apart. I will never forget it as long as I live. I woke at 4.40 in the morning to read my Bible. Maria Fidia, a dear Magnificat sister, had visited our service team and had encouraged us to read the Psalms every morning. I was reading the Psalms that morning and had even highlighted certain passages. I left the Bible open on the ottoman and went to get dressed. We were leaving for Lafayette that morning to close on a little house I would share with my daughter while she was homeschooled for high school and worked with her tennis coach. Knowing we were going to meet with new people that morning, I thought to myself while dressing, I'm going to wear this crucifix to let people know who I am, a Catholic Christian. I remember making this conscious decision because you don't get to make a first impression twice. We left in two cars carrying my daughter's belongings. It was a very rainy day, the tail end of Hurricane Allison, but rain has never kept us from traveling before. I was following behind my husband and son in the right lane, proceeding more cautiously. I remember listening to a tape after I said the rosary. I'm listening and praying, and the rain did not let up at all. After a while, an 18-wheeler passed me at high speed and threw up muddy water on my windshield. I couldn't see at all, and I was afraid of running into my husband and son. I knew not to touch the brakes, but I had to just a little. When I did, the car hydroplaned, went across the fast lane, 
across the grass and hit four trees before it landed. The whole episode felt like slow motion. I was begging the Lord to save my life as I hit each tree. The car came to rest just before it reached that fly basin swamp. My husband knew I was not behind him anymore. I had not pulled over or passed him. To him, I just vanished. He had to go over the basin freeway, get off, and come back around to find me. By then, police were there because some kind men stopped to help me. I told them the Lord saved my life. I wasn't really hurt. Just my thumb was black and blue from holding onto the steering wheel during impact. When my husband Rusty arrived, he could not believe how calm I was. I wasn't in shock or crying. I could not believe how blessed I was to be okay. They sent a flatbed record to pick up what was left in my car. We arrived home that night at 7.30, and my Bible was still open on the ottoman. I rushed to see what I had read that morning, to see if it had any correlation to my experience that day. Here is what I had highlighted in the Bible. Psalm 40, Gratitude and Prayer for Help. I have waited, waited for the Lord, and he stooped toward me and heard my cry. He drew me out of the pit of destruction, out of the mud of the swamp. He set my feet upon a crag. He made firm my steps. He put a new song into my mouth, a hymn to our God. Many shall look on with awe and trust in the Lord. I was in the swamp. I did not even know it said swamp in the Bible. <laughs> what an experience. I came home and read that, and it was like an adrenaline rush. Yes, it was the Lord. I had to call all my friends and family. After a few weeks, I felt a tingling in my right arm. I went for an MRI, and it showed two bulging discs and one herniated disc. I had gotten a whiplash in the wreck. One surgeon thought I needed surgery right away. In another opinion, the neurosurgeon ordered a myelogram for more diagnostics before surgery. The day before my final test, I went to see Sister Dulcie here in Baton Rouge. After that, my symptoms disappeared and there was no need for surgery. All I can do is praise the Lord. I spend my life in thanksgiving to the Lord for saving my life. Usually you have to look back over time to see how the Lord has worked in your life. But there it was for me, highlighted in one day. While living in Lafayette, I participated in the Come Lord Jesus program for three years. I was at their last conference that I was able to go to, and I asked the Lord, do you want me to bring this program back to Mandeville? When a lady got up to share about bringing the program to a nursing home, right then I knew it was my answer. So I went to Christwood, where my mother-in-law lives, and they did not seem too interested. While driving home, I heard the words, Why not Roquette Lodge? It's a Catholic nursing home. I said, Why not Roquette Lodge? I did not think of that. I pass it every day. <laughs> I met with their program planner, and she said the Come Lord Jesus program was exactly the type of program they were looking for. My friend Corrine and I started facilitating it four and a half years ago and it's gone over very well. Sometimes, because of our own commitments, I think we needed to stop the program. The two times we've actually planned to stop it 
five new ladies came each time. So that's out of the question. It will keep on going. I love the Lord because he's always on our side pulling for us. He knows what area of our lives each of us need help in. And he gently moves us in that direction if we allow him. With me, early on it was speaking. All the little jobs he asked me to get involved with, with with communication to build up my weakest link. Two years ago, I got up early as I always do. When I came downstairs, I lit a Lamborghini. I went to fix my breakfast and came back to blow out the flame. When I did, I fell and broke my hip, my arm, and needed surgery on my jaw as a result of the fall. Everyone who knows me was shocked because of my preventive maintenance routine for osteoporosis. What the fall showed me was how little control we have over our lives. After my surgery, my orthopedic surgeon would not let me put any weight on my right leg for eight weeks because he wanted the pins he used to fix my hip to heal. However, after sitting that long, when I stood up to start physical therapy, my right leg was functionally two inches longer than my left, and my body healed in a torqued position. I stubbed my foot trying to walk. I had to swing it out to actually walk. My doctor had never seen a case like mine. Neither had the first physical therapist. We have all seen the bumper sticker, Perform Random Acts of Kindness. Well, after I broke my hip, I was the recipient of many random acts of kindness. Family and friends came daily to help from brushing my teeth, combing my hair, helping me in and out of the shower, dressing me, feeding me, pushing my wheelchair. I felt the love and compassion of a myriad of people. At first, I wished I could run away from the situation, but I couldn't. I was forced to face my restlessness, anxiety, and frustration. But sitting there with these feelings day after day, I was forced to discipline my heart, which is real prayer. And I gradually began to change and relax and finally let go and let God. As Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 38, Anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. One day I was meditating on the Good Shepherd. It was as if the Lord was carrying me, a broken little lamb on his shoulders. The view was quite, quite different from my usual one in the grassy meadows. Riding high on the Lord's shoulders, my eyes were open to see many things I missed as a sheep in the meadow. I saw other people's pain and suffering more acutely. I saw many people share their own precious time running my errands, cooking, sitting with me, encouraging me. My own pain was diminished at times from riding on high with Jesus through grace. I actually felt grace. I have never been more thankful for my spiritual friends the Lord has been placing carefully in my path for years. There's nothing like friendship in the Lord. We need to surrender everything to the Lord. In my correspondence, I always put rejoice always before I sign my name. I was having a hard time practicing what I preach. Fortunately, the new physical therapist, Greg Selden, 
Judy's nephew, was skilled and confident to tackle my case, and I will be forever grateful to him. We started three hours a day, three times a week, and did not see any improvement for four months. The pain I experienced there was white-hot pain. The largest bone in my body was completely stuck. I got through each session relying on God to give me strength to endure it and giving me the desire to come back the next time. The pitfalls on our paths are places we can plant seeds, and I was doing some weeding. I really feel the journey of my broken hip open the eyes of my heart. My family and friends were angels, giving me strength and consolation. Sometimes I could describe the experience like I slipped on a banana peel and landed in Oz. Everything was foreign to me. Doctors, hospitals, wheelchairs, walkers, canes. But once I acclimated to Oz, I met the best people there. I met kind physical therapy assistants, caretakers who brought in their patients, people with worse disabilities than mine. We began to share each other's lives and feelings. After a few months, I began to have a revelation of joy, like a jewel hidden in a dark cave. I was changing inside and out. Now you could measure the actual progress in degrees, and my heart was softening along with the muscles and ligaments, restricting the movement of my hip. My eyes became less judgmental, and I started to thank God for the whole situation. What a turnaround. Joys are hidden in sorrow. I know that from my experience. Every morning, I'd arrive at PT at 7 to start the process. I was still attending daily mass with the help of friends, but was going to the abbey instead of my parish because of the time difference. One day, the idea came to me to go to mass before I went to PT. I switched my appointments to 9, went back to my own parish for daily mass. What a difference it made to have the Eucharist before I went to the rack of pain. Seeing everyone at Mass gave me such encouragement, and it was healing just to be with my parish family again. This January, it has been two years since my fall. My hip is healed, but it doesn't have very much internal rotation, and it remains quite stiff. I have to work out daily to keep it stretched. My husband and I go daily, every day, every morning, to work out with weights, swim, and stretch. Those workouts have added happiness to our marriage I could never have imagined. We laugh for an hour every morning. And he had been working out by himself for 30 years. <laughs> now we're having so much fun. Last fall at the gym, I noticed they were offering calligraphy lessons. So I took, I took them and enjoyed so much. After that, I wanted to enhance my calligraphy. I called Sister Catherine at the um, Carmelites and took a watercolor lesson from her. I loved it, and it was total gift to me. I never painted before, and now I just love painting flowers. When I, first, when I was first home from the hospital those eight weeks, the Lord gave me a gift. In February, a sunflower I did not plant started coming up and blooming with more flowers than I could count right outside of the den window where I sat every day. That thrilled me to no end. 
I love frogs. Out of season, so tall, it could only have been from the Lord. My friend Corrine said, don't you realize if you hadn't broken your hip, you'd have never taken calligraphy lessons or watercolor lessons. God has blessed me with this newfound joy. The Lord knows how hard it is for me to sit still and be quiet. Now I have learned to listen. Enjoying art has given me a persistent invitation to sit freely. It has opened in me a place that until recently had remained unavailable to me, a place where I could hear the gentle invitation of Jesus to dwell with him. Last Thanksgiving Day in my journal, I wrote 17 benefits from my broken hip, some of which is seeing the weakness of myself, seeing the strength of family and friends, opportunity to grow in virtues, how much God loves me, and trusting in God's providence. From Romans 5, verse 3, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Lord has been at work in me, healing the past hurts through Christian counseling. I was moved to take my mother's wedding ring and make it into a rosary ring. It's very special to me now. And about my dad's rosary, I carried it with me for years. And one day, I lost it. I retraced my steps. I took my car apart, my closet, everything. I, I couldn't find it. I had never been to his gravesite before, 18 years ago. But I found his grave, said a few prayers, and went home. When I got home, I went into my closet, and there on the floor, right in the center, was my dad's rosary. What can I say? It was a moment of great grace. It made me think the veil between heaven and earth is very thin. I think the greatest gift my parents gave me is my faith. That is what keeps us all going. Isn't that what life is truly about? Through it all, first in a whisper, I was finding my voice. I conformed my will to the Lord, even though the hurt, fear, and rejection did not go away. My heart was transformed unconditionally. I had the will to forgive and wait for the emotions to follow. The entire struggle was an interior preparation for my soul. Our wounds are to be part of our glory if we let them transform us. I asked God, and he answered. Not by changing my mother or other situations in my life, but by transforming me. He healed me in a profound way. And as an avid gardener, I think of the image of a garden. First, you have to prepare the soil. If you don't start with good soil, your growth will flounder in your garden and in your life. The Lord was preparing the soil of my soul. After that, the soil helps to bring forth fruit over time. To everything, there is a season. My fruit is what I am doing for the Lord. Every gardener knows that under the cloak of winter lies a miracle, a seed waiting to sprout, a bulb opening to the light, a bud straining to unfurl. I am constantly changing, growing, aiming at something. I've been that seed, that bulb, that bud. 
The Lord hath brought me from Siren to a whisper, to shouts of joy. As you stand in your garden, what is Jesus saying to you? Let's hope he sees seeds and not weeds. From Isaiah 27, verse 2 to 3. In that day, sing about a fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, watch over it. I water it continually. I guard it day and night so that no one might harm it. Thank you. I don't think Paulette Renadan is painfully shy anymore. Thank God and praise God that she truly shouts uh, the goodness of the Lord from the rooftops. Let us recognize the need for each of us to help one another, to speak of God's action in our lives, to sing together, to pray together, to share our Judeo-Christian faith, which will strengthen us for whatever lies ahead in our life journey. In the book of Revelations, chapter 1, verse 11, we are told they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. How important our testimonies are. And in keeping with today's presentation, let us lift our hearts in prayer and say together, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Well, we certainly hope you have enjoyed the program. And for more information or a copy of today's broadcast, please write us at Magnificat Proclaims, P.O. Box 2983, Orange, California, 92859. Once again, Magnificat Proclaims, P.O. Box 2983, Orange, California, zip code 92859. And for some of you, it might be easier to call. So feel free to call us at 800-500-4556. If you would like to have more information about the Magnificat Ministry, including a location of a Magnificat chapter in your area, you can call 504 828-MARY. That's 504-828-MARY. Or visit the Magnificat website at www.magnificat-ministry.org. On behalf of Magnificat Proclaims, this is Donna Ross inviting you to join us next time as we present more personal testimonies from our inspirational Catholic speakers. Remember, Magnificat proclaims the greatness of the Lord. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you in his peace.